everyone, welcome back to the I'm There podcast, guys. I'm your host, Freyway, and I'm here with my co-host, Kenny. There you <laughs> And today, we have an exciting episode to talk about Yu-Gi-Oh! Edison Format Part 2, because RBET 2 just passed. So RBET is a tournament series hosted by my boy Keegan over at E3 Yu-Gi-Oh! So follow that YouTube channel if you haven't already, but he posts a lot of content related to Edison Format, which is probably the most popular non-current Yu-Gi-Oh! Format uh, at the moment. It's it's really fun. I've been playing it a lot. As you guys know, I've been promoting it a lot. I recently actually did commentary with Kenny uh, on the tournament. And if you don't know what RBET stands for, I think it stands for a really big Edison tournament, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it stands it's for also automatopoeia for ribbit. Yes, it actually means ribbit if you say it, RBET. And then it stands for really big Edison tournament. So this event was really amazing. I actually opted to not go to the quote Philly regional, even though it wasn't hosted in Philly. It was close to Philly. It was in PA and Oaks, PA. And I chose to not go to that, which is wild because I haven't been to a regional in person in two years. Uh, But I chose to instead of going to that, I decided to stay in for Edison and, you know, try to play in a tournament and then eventually the commentary all Saturday and all Sunday. And that's how I spent my weekend. And I had a I had a great time. I think you also Kenny, you you definitely enjoyed it as well. Yeah, I mean, day one, which was on Saturday, we did commentary for like, I want to say at least six hours, maybe seven. Yeah, six or seven hours. It definitely was a long time, a full time job at that point. But when you're having fun, it never feels like a job. I'm very passionate about Yu-Gi-Oh, especially now that I'm back playing in a way. So for me, it didn't even feel like we were doing it that long. When it got to like 9 p.m., I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, my God, we've been doing this since, I don't know, like two, three. Yeah, it was it was a grip. And then day two, we did five hours, which was all, all of top eight, yeah. which was really fun. Yeah. So I want to speak on the status of Edison and some of the things that I've learned. I've learned a lot uh, this weekend. So one of the things that I learned is that in order to do well, I think in these online Edison tournaments, you need to be not only making medicals, but you also kind of need to be bold in your decision making and you need to be innovative. So I'll break down what I mean by those and we can kind of discuss them all. But the decks that did well were decks that did not top the last RBET tournament. I think that's really cool. So last time the tournament was dominated by things like Diva Hero. You had some unique stuff like the Amaralis Plant Burn deck. You had uh, Hero Beat. Uh, you have Veyu Turbo, which won the tournament. You had the Fairy deck, which has apparently been doing pretty consistent. And, you know, like there was a zombie deck that I believe got seventh at the last one. So this time around, uh, zombies took the tournament. But then there was an emergence of new decks like this new, I call it FHM or FMH Frog Hero Monarch deck that uh, I think Rog, I don't know how to say his name properly, but it's like, like Ronark or yeah. Rog. Rognak, something like that. Yeah, uh, apparently Rownick, he's one. I don't know. Rownick. I'm getting your name wrong. I'm sorry. We don't know how to say your name, man. But I got like, his name wrong all weekend. Look, you can add me on Discord and you can tell us how to say it and I will say it correctly going forward. But I don't know how to pronounce this name. But he, That's not true. Don't Fra- Fraser lied to all of you. What That's, do you mean? Because Fraser was on Discord and Keegan did tell us how to say it, and we still say it wrong. <laughs> well, look, it is what it is. He's one of the innovators of this amazing deck. So I, I've always shit-talked on Frog Monarchs. I think Frog Monarchs are a terrible deck if you play the conventional just frogs and just monarchs, and that's it. Uh, both Kenny and I, neither one of us like the deck because it's very linear. It does one thing every turn, and if that thing gets stopped, it loses, and if it doesn't draw Monarchs, it loses. Because yep. of those reasons, we quickly realized the deck was not good, despite you know what people might try to tell you. There's a reason why I didn't, that deck didn't even do very well 
any actual Edison Shonen Championship 12 years ago, like Frog Monarchs. It wasn't yeah. a good deck then. It's, it's not good. It's not a good deck. But these guys have found a way, Cameron, Saunders, I could say his name easily, and uh, Rognak, they found a way to make the deck do more. Like, it kind of has extenders in a way. It has a bunch of plays. You set up dupe blocks, then you could do things like bounce straddles, bounce monarchs to your hand. Uh, you have Miracle Fusion for extenders, and you also play a ton of discard traps like Wing Blast and Regeki Break. And those cards are obnoxious, particularly Wing Blast. I think we actually watched a game where we saw an opponent playing Hero Beat get his shit spun four times in a row. Yeah, so, it was like Wing Blast, next turn Ryza, next turn Ryza, next turn Wing Blast. It was like, yeah. You can't. Like, you're not playing today. Yeah, like, he was stuck with the same six or seven cards that he opened the game with and never saw another card until it was too late. So this deck can loop you and do all kinds... Substitute is one of those broken cards in the game. I think that goes without saying. That card is not once per turn. It has a secondary effect that people kind of forget about where frogs can't die in battle. Uh, it's a one-star monster. It's water. You can bring it out with one-for-one, one, which is always insane. That card has never been used for anything that is fair in the game's history. One-for-one one has always been used for toxic shit. Uh, so Substitute is broken, and the deck plays three of it. Swap Frog is actually kind of broken, too, in this deck, because I've seen plays where you go, like, Summon Stratos, Search Malicious, one-for-one, one, Discard Malicious, Summon Substitute out, Banish Malicious, Summon it, use Substitute's effect, bring out, you know, Swap Frog, send a treeborn frog do it again send another treeborn frog then bring out dupe frog and then swap frog will have bounced straddles to your hand uh in the middle of that whole tributing spree that you're doing so you'll have straddles back in your hand you'll have substitute and you'll have dupe frog so they're dupe block technically they can only attack dupe frog and it can't die in battle so they have like a little dupe block going if you want to if you want to push that advantage even further you can just turn the substitute into a second dupe frog and so you just end with double dupe frog and straddles is back in your hand if he's already searched so you have that like plus going for yourself and then they, they can't attack at all. And Tree Morphog will come back on the next turn. So if you have any Monarchs and only plays six, it plays three Kai's, three Ryza, which are the most relevant ones. Uh, it really does a lot. It also thins the deck out turn one really quickly often. I think that's really strong too. It's kind of like understated how good that is to just, even if you just go Special Summon Swap Frog, Normal Summon Substitute, and you just Tribute and get 90% of your Frogs out of your deck, right? You only need one Swap Frog to kind of loop your Monarchs for the rest of the game, the loop Stratos and stuff like that. And you can kind of dump the rest. Of, like, you don't need all the Substitutes after that. You don't need multiple copies of Swap Frog. You kind of dump them. And it also sets it up where you have Water Monsters for every Miracle Fusion you draw. You'll never have to worry about water, which yeah. is a problem that I think Kenny mentioned with Diva Hero, right? Like that That's a big problem with Diva Hero. I mean, you've talked about it more than I have, but uh, once again, that's another deck that both of us don't really like. Um, yeah, I'm not a fan. One of the problems with the deck is that you can only, sometimes you can only draw half the deck. You'll only draw the hero half or you'll only draw the water half. And like, you just kind of feel like you're not really going off. And Diva Hero can be explosive, but there's a lot of decks that are, the zombie deck, for example, that one is very explosive. It's very explosive. But I feel like and more consistent. This, in my the zombie deck is always doing what it wants to do. Like, yeah. it, it's got a plethora of searchers and recruiters. Um, and I, I think the zombie deck kind of just works well, whereas the, also the zombie deck doesn't have cards that you never, ever, ever want to see in your hand. Like Spine Gilman, maybe it's only one card, but when you, it always feels bad. Like if you draw Spine Gilman, you're fucking angry. And yeah. it's going to happen. Like you can't just say, I'll never draw Spine Gilman. Like you will draw it. Yeah, um, and, and that's that's actually a big thing that you brought up. Every single card in a lot of these decks is just good to have. I'm looking at the the Frog Hero Monarch deck for example, and there are no 
cards that you're like, if I draw this, I'm sick. Even the Unifrog has like a good, it's actually a, a decent card because once you establish a dupe block of any kind, either mm-hmm. substitute and dupe frog or just double dupe frog, Unifrog is a fucking problem. Yeah, Unifrog, we watched Unifrog be a menace out there a couple times. And something else I like about the Frog Monarch hero deck is we already mentioned that we don't really like traditional Frog Monarchs that much, but there's multiple reasons why. So, uh, like, for example, Light and Darkness Dragon is a really fun card. And when, against certain decks, he can really cause problems. But there's so many cards that are common in this format that beat like Treeborn Frog just ruins Light and Darkness Dragon. Honest, you just summon Honest and then keep trying to bring them back to your hand, beats Light and Darkness yeah, Dragon. All the Light Swarm monsters that mill on the end phase. So there's. Veyu. Veyu. So there's a ton of popular cards and popular decks that just kind of beat Light and Darkness Dragon. And traditional Frog Monarchs, Lad was one of their big boss monsters, right? They get him out or, yeah. with Soul Exchange or whatever. The other thing that this deck does that I think is interesting is we all now live in the era where everybody plays three upstarts, and traditional Frog Monarchs also play Pot of Avarice. This deck could easily support Pot of Avarice, and obviously, Upstart Goblin is always good, but what I think is interesting is they don't play either of those cards. When you look at the deck, it doesn't really look like there's room for them, so it kind of makes sense. Yeah. So The only thing that I can say, I I don't want to fully agree that there's no room, so let's take Rog's deck for example. I think yeah, yeah. that if you were to cut, if I wanted to put three upstarts in this deck, I think the I would way cut Rageki right break. So I think probably. that, but I wouldn't cut all of them. So what I would do yeah. is I would cut down one Caius, one Ryza, and one Rageki break, or do two Rageki breaks and one Ryza, something like that, because you yeah, are yeah. going to be drawing your monarchs more often. And from what I've noticed when I was watching this deck play, it doesn't need like frog monarchs to draw multiple monarchs. It yeah, actually yeah, can just yeah. kind of play the game off of one or two of them and run train on you with just those one or two monarchs which is scary that it does it so well um and then if you deal with the monarch then it starts dropping shit like miracle fusion on you and it's like oh my god look yeah. what, what is happening the sky is falling also uh, i've heard you say many times on stream and this is getting off on a tangent a little bit but absolute zero when this deck gets huge yes i said that multiple times because that's another thing with the diva hero deck so to make it clear, I think we already make it clear. Me and Fraser don't think Diva Hero is the best deck in the format. Yeah, it's um, one of the most played, people, but definitely not the best. Yeah, many people say it's the best deck. I, I really don't think it's the best. I don't think it's bad. I think the deck is very good. Yeah, it's but good. I don't it's think fine. it's the best deck in the format. We, but, and this is not just because of this tournament either. I think if you listen to our other podcast episodes about Edison format, the one with Keegan and the one titled Edison format, uh, and the one with Dale Belito, the second one with Dale Belito. Yeah, yeah. I think I brought up the uh, Diva Hero in all three of those episodes, and I've pretty much shat on it because it's just I've played it a couple times now, and for me, it's you just one of the most popular, but it's very popular, which is I still think that's strange because it's not very good. But what it does do is it's an OTK deck in disguise, and I don't know what people think of it when they're playing it, but to me, when I'm playing against Diva Hero or with Diva Hero, all you're really looking for is that one turn where you explode and kill your opponent. And when it does not do that, AKA when it doesn't draw miracle fusion, when it doesn't uh, get a water monster in the graveyard fast enough, or when it doesn't see the heroes and when it doesn't see the water side, when it doesn't do that, it just does not grind well. So all the other yeah. decks have a really good late game. When I think about the quick draw decks, cause they play pot of Avarice, the cat decks, they play pot of Avarice. Uh, a lot of other decks, 
that just literally like fairies, their late game is really strong because Dimensional Alchemist starts to become a real threat after a, th a lot of things are banished. Then Christia start dropping. Free to Brave Wander becomes an issue. He's a plus one on some end priority and all that. Uh, you know, Dark Arm starts dropping from the Dark Decks. Point is, the other decks grind well and they kind of start the game off fine too. Maybe not as explosive as Diva Hero has the propensity or the, the potential to be, but they yeah. still they still start off pretty strong. Like, fairies can get started as early as turn one. If you put a monster in attack mode, they can crash into it four times and drop Christia. So, like, yep. all and Veyu can turn one Greffer, discard Soroko or Veyu and immediately hit you for 4,000, which has happened to me a couple times. Half my life, yeah. turn one. Like, you know, so the decks. The other decks that are not Diva Hero, they can grind well, but I feel like you just have a better late game. And Diva Hero's late game honestly just sucks. Like, it's just not a good fizzles. late game. Yeah, it fizzles out. It starts and, to become awkward. And on the note of Zero being huge, like, in that deck, when Zero comes out, usually he's 2,500. Sometimes you might have Treeborn on the field or yeah, something. Or Spine Gilman or something. But yeah, but in this deck, in the Frog deck, there might be double dupe frog and a tree born. It's like you're Bro, fucking we saw, absolute we saw, zero. We saw literally four frogs and absolute zero out. Yeah, and he's gigantic. We saw four frogs. We saw a substitute dupe dupe swap with a absolute zero on the far left uh, column, and I was like, "Why is he just randomly forty five hundred? Yeah, so he can be real scared when he comes out. Like you want to talk about a clock? Like absolute zero is always scary because of his effect, but. The fact that his uh, his stats become so damn big in this deck yeah. is really, really scary. There was another play that I saw. I don't remember who did it out of Cam or Rog, but one of them went activate Miracle Fusion. The opponent had two monsters. He went activate Miracle Fusion, summon Absolute Zero, then normal summon substitute, priority, tribute, Absolute Zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to me, that shit was cracked because then he brought out like a swap frog with Substo's effect, and then Absolute Zero wiped the guy's field down. And he was able to do the like, you know, set up his dupe block, and then next turn Treeborn comes back, and then the frogs start to multiply. So every turn yep. you don't you don't deal with it, it starts to develop this lot because Treeborn Frog is just a continuous plus one that transforms into a different frog. And eventually you find yourself facing down three to four frogs, and everything that they summon at that point is getting bounced back to the hand because you can't even attack the swap frog. Nope. Like you can't even so if they summon Stratos, for example, or uh Achaeus or Ryza. And they have all those frogs on the field, and Swap Frog is one of them. He can just bounce, you know, you can just bounce your Monarch or your Stratos or whatever back to your hand, and you can't attack it. And another thing that this deck does well, I hate Elemental Hero Ocean, except in this deck. You, can, yeah, yeah, you yeah. can't attack him. Typically, when somebody summons Ocean against me, that shit never resolves. I've never let someone resolve an Ocean on me, really. Uh, it's to the point where I go out of my way to kill Ocean. I'll either kill by battle or bottomless it, or if he attacks Deep Prison, Mirror Force, whatever, I'll do whatever I have to do to get that shit off the field, because I know what it means if somebody gets back Stratos. Uh, against a Frog Hero Monarch deck, though, a lot of times when this deck sets up Ocean, you can't get to it. You can't stop them, yeah. And that's so cool, because there's a lot of decks that will kind of force Ocean into it. Like the Diva Frog deck, I, I don't think all the lists play Ocean, but at least half of them play Ocean. Some of the Hero Beat decks play Ocean, and I just don't really know why. Like, I don't really think Ocean is that good in yeah. the Hero Beat deck. I also um, don't like the Hero Beat decks that play Miracle Fusion. I, I'm not a fan. Uh, I think the, yeah, so I, I think Hero Beat should be the, more stunned, but one of the top eight is Hero Beat, and it plays Miracle Fusion. And what's I agree? I don't think I don't think Absolute Zero is that good in the Hero Beat deck because you end up. We saw it multiple times, and we commented on the top eight. That said, congratulations to the guy for getting top eight. He did great, 200 plus man tournament. Right. But uh, what I found interesting is there was multiple times I watched him play. 
and like he wouldn't have any back row. And to me, the hero beat deck is all about the back row. When it's, it's alias terrifying and when back it sets row. four. Yeah, yeah, it's alias and four back row. And, and so there's times when people are like, "Oh, maybe he just drew all monsters." And in my head, I was like, "How? Don't they only play like six? But it, uh, there's other lists that play so many more monsters, and I, it's kind of like yeah. I, I want to look at I want to look at the hero beat deck. So he actually plays twelve monsters plus three e calls one rota. So that's up to sixteen. And if you count Miracle Fusion as kind of like a monster, that's 19. If you count Hero Blast, which is kind of like a monster too, that's 22. So it's playing a lot of monsters. Um, and that leads to those hands that are kind of awkward where you do have an alias out there on his lonesome and no back row. And we saw that. I mean, that's kind of how he ended up losing the tournament. I don't know how his other games went because they weren't streamed for the most part. But, you know, congrats on making top eight. But I do think that there are two different types of hero beat decks and one of them plays absolute zero and the others are more of a stun variant. And I think the stun variants do better, not only because they play less monsters and more back row and just more hateful, but the other thing that they do well is they get to play oppression and skill drain. And I think that those are the most powerful traps in the format. Obviously dust shoot, you know, being like Omega Jame, but outside of dust shoot, oppression yeah, and skill drain. You can main deck both oppression and skill drain. If you don't play miracle fusion or you don't play ocean and then you can streamline your deck where you're playing Stratos, three alias. You could play Captain Gold if you want. The double honest is mandatory. And you could either do, uh, you could leave it there. You could play Crusader of Endymion, or you can play uh, Beast King Barbaros. And Skill Dream of Beast King Barbaros, I don't need to say it, but like that is not okay. 3,000 attack. Uh, if you play Triple Book of Moon, not only does it prevent your opponent from making uh, Synchro plays, but Book of Moon also resets Beast King Barbaros and makes him a 3,000 attack monster when you flip him. So there's... There's builds for Hero Beat. Like, I have my own builds and stuff that are really streamlined, and they're more of a, it's more stun like than it is this variant that wants to special summon like everyone else, because I feel like it loses some of its luster when it's going for Absolute Zero. I, I, you know what it is? I think the other decks that summon Absolute Zero just do it better. They do it better. They do it better. Yeah. I also think if you look at this deck, right? It's just, it's got, it plays Dark Bribe, right? When you play Dark Bribe, you. You're playing Dark Bribe because you have back row to protect. Yes. If you're not setting for back row, Dark Bribe shouldn't be in your deck, right? Yeah, it's kind of awkward. So there's that. And so if you take Future Fusion and three Miracle Fusions out of your deck, that's four slots for opening up um, Book of Moon, Dark Bribe, Upstart Goblin. Um, and then if you take the two Oceans out of your deck, you you know, you, there's a lot of room to put other cards into this deck. Yeah, this deck has a lot of room. And like I said, I even have builds that are more stun-like. They don't play any of the Miracle Fusion or Water Monsters. I think Water Monsters in general suck outside of the Frogs. Like, I don't like... Yeah. I typically don't like the Water Monsters in the game. Uh, Diva's fine, but I hate when... I hate having to play Spine Gilman. I don't think anyone likes having to play it. I understand that you can go into Cataster. Uh, or That's why Andrew. I like uh, the Zombie deck. Just plays two Diva. And so it does. I don't it says Foxbond Gilman, right? Yeah, I'm, like, a, I'm a big fan of that too. I'm a big fan of the Foxbond Gilman. You could even play three Diva in the zombie deck if you wanted to. I noticed that people yeah. actually did that back in the day. They just played three of it because you want to draw it. You do want to see it, but then it also plays Plague Spreader Zombie, so it can get away with it. I love that the zombie deck is to play mind control in the main deck because yeah. so much of the format is people setting monsters, and a lot of times it's Hamster or Ryko, and sometimes it's Spy. No matter what it is, as long as it's not Sangan, if you have a tuner in your hand, you can always do something with it. So when you mind control that, that face down, it plays enough tuners to really support mind control. Yeah, and like yeah, it can go 
My control is really nice in the main deck of that deck. That's the thing that's cool about it is that it gets the main deck cards that just like Book of Life. It's a DD Crow in yes. quotes. Like it gets the main deck cards that are just hateful, but it's it doesn't sacrifice any of its own shit. It main right. decks um, Return from a Different Dimension, and it's just like. That card is just fucked up on its own. Yeah, it's just game you a lot of times when you resolve that card. Especially if, if you're resolving return on your own turn, you probably are killing your opponent. Yeah, so you have, like, Plague Spreader and Mizuki, so it's one of the only decks that can naturally support bringing Plague Spreader back after he uses his effect, number one. Right. But number two, everybody plays Deep Prison, Bottomless. Yeah, that's so the like, other thing. You get... A lot of your shit gets banished because other people are just kiasing you. They yeah. are they're like bottomlessing you, they're deprisoning you. So you naturally end up with banished cards. So return just makes sense. Like it's just one of those cards that makes sense. It's really cool. I really like this deck list. Uh I also like so it plays two book of life, and like you said, it is it's a pseudo DD Crow, and it's kind of better in a lot of situations because it puts a monster on board. The zombie package is so good uh and i learned really because is. i like the fairy deck and the fairy deck plays recruiters which is something that's kind of lost in the format like no one plays really giant rats or mystic tomatoes but shining angel nova summoner plays in a fairy deck and i've been playing the fairy deck a lot lately and and i really think the deck is extremely good but it doesn't it goes into dd war lady and you know sometimes in niche situations you can go into other stuff but those cards don't float the same way that goblin zombie floats like goblin zombie yeah. is for all intents and purposes a sangan Turtle into zombie is sick. And then you could even go turtle into your deck. Like turtle into zombie, turtle into spirit reaper, turtle into zombie master, turtle into plague. And yep. the, you so, can go into Mizuki. So many, like, right? Like all of your cards you can get from turtle, and they're all cards you want. Like Yes, and it's hard to kill zombies. It's hard to, like, it's funny to say that, hard to kill zombies, but it is actually hard to kill this deck because one pyramid turtle can stall you out completely not only because pyramid Total just searches on a monster because it also just can get spirit and ends your turn like a lot of times yep. that'll just be the end of your actual turn uh and then sometimes it puts you in a situation where you don't even want to attack like if you attack a face down and this turtle and they get another turtle i don't even know if i want to continue attacking at that point because i don't want them to end on goblin zombie because yeah. then they end yeah. on goblin zombie then they can just go draw sack for Caius, or draw summon diva draw summon yep. plague spreader zombie right like all of those that's, situations that's what's scary too like if they go fucking if they have zombie on the field the fact that they play three tuners that's that between yeah. plague and two divas and that means they have a a 40 percent chance of having a tuner and they're yep. opening him yep and then yeah they've got the caius and so it gets bad it gets bad yeah the deck plays a lot of card burial's really good uh burial has strange interactions too that you can do so if you're playing against the fairy deck and they have exactly four fairies you could chain burial before they get to their main phase two because a lot of times they get the four by crashing shining angels and nova summoners but let's just say they randomly had something, a fairy bandage, you could chain burial, put some of your stuff back, and then put their one fairy back, mm. and it'll make them have five fairies now. And that could ruin their entire setup. And I only say that because I've actually done that before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, somebody crashed into me a couple times with the fairy deck, and then I was like, okay, I'll burial, and, you know, push it back. And it messed them up. So that is really cool to me that that's, that's a thing. Uh, what else does it... I mean... I think I think Book of Life is really well placed in the format. It's a great meta call to play that card. The other thing is, I watched a game. I think you were obviously commentating it too, but he banished like double Veyu from somebody playing the Veyu Turbo deck with yeah. Black Wings. He just like there were two Veyus banished, but they were banished by themselves. There was no Sorokos or anything with them. Yeah, and I looked at it. It's like, oh, he Book of Life those like those got Book of Life. Book of Life is so. And what's so fucked up about it is 
The amount of things it hates, like it it hits Lightsworns from having four names. It hits the fairies from having four fairies. It hits the Veyu deck. It hits frogs. It hits malicious. Like, like, yeah. It's malicious. It hits every deck, but then on top of that, this format doesn't have Monster Reborn. So like, it also is Monster yeah. Reborn. It's also premature burial. Like, yeah. Monster Reborn's not in this format, and the fact that it it not only hates their graveyard, it goes, oh, and I get Goblin Zombie back. Oh, and I get Plague Spreader back. Like, yeah. That's it, fun, It does do something unique in the format that no other deck really has. Like you said, a Monster Reborn, it's an extender. So you try to go for a play and they stop and you're like, okay, book a life and try again. And it can get multiple uses out of Plague before it uses Plague's real effect to banish himself. Yes, and that's, like. that's what's really good too because everybody loves Plague Spreader, right? And the fact that he from the graveyard, but you do put yourself a turn behind to use them, etc. And then he gets banished. The fact that Zombies is really the only deck that can use Plague multiple times through Zombie Master, through Book of Life, through Mizuki. Like, you have all these ways of using... Plague yeah. Spreader multiple times before you have to be forced into using his effect. Yeah, and then so, even after you use his effect, you fucking return from a different dimension, and you're like, I, I fucking bring him back. Yeah, or burial, and then just use, you know start doing stuff again. The deck is really cool. I think it was the perfect time to play this type of deck. Uh, the format is getting more and more graveyard dependent. It has a good matchup against the Frog Hyrule Monarch deck that just came out. It has a good matchup against. I got. I will say. The dragon decks, those, but also like Skyscores Neuralis, even though only one person apparently played it in RBET2, the deck, so the deck wasn't really well represented. But I do think that if you get a turn, it can hurt that deck too. Like Book of Life can just do a lot of things mm -hmm. and it's just well placed. I like some of the side deck stuff that I saw this tournament. A lot of soul releases. Yes. Soul release really showed its ass this weekend. Even if you don't see it as much in the top eight deck list side decks per se, uh, the winner played it. And I, I definitely contributed to him doing well because we watched games. I think he played Tom went around at one point and he just kept soul releasing and banishing Dude, everything. Between Book of Life, Soul Release, DD Crow, like. And he plays Kaiko too in the, in the, in the and, side deck. And you play Kaiko in side deck. Like you are making it so that they can't play the game. Because no, I don't think there's a deck in the format that is going to beat you off just their main deck. Like, yeah. every single deck needs their graveyard. Yeah, all the good decks, even, even Hero Beat, because Hero Blast is yep, a necessary card when it plays, you know what I mean? So every deck does need its graveyard to some degree, some more than others. And so, yeah, the Soul Releases, Soul Releases is actually kind of slept on. I, if I were to make a top 10 most slept on cards in Edison format, I think Soul Release is either one or two. Yeah, it's... It's very it's slept a on. a really strong card. Um, we saw other things performing well on the side deck, like Vanity's Fiend. That card caused a Vanity's lot of problems. Fiend. Obviously, Fossil Dyna. I like Fossil Dyna a lot. Fossil Dyna was out. We saw a, a Glabby's Hunter and a Frog Hero Monarch side deck. Uh, and that actually did... It was relevant when it got flipped, because uh, I think a Glabby's attacked into it, and then he couldn't tag out. He also couldn't contact. Uh, but then I think that... So my thoughts on Glabby's Hunter are as follows. The problem with the card is that once it's known that you side that, you have the, the opponent has no incentive to ever attack your face down monster again. I'm never attacking your face down monster, especially if you're playing frogs. Because what am I even trying to kill face down? If it's a treeborn frog, your hand's bad. And if it's anything else, it's probably dupe frog, right? So I'm just going to bounce. No, no glad beast really beats dupe frogs. So I'm just going to bounce off of it. And then at that point, I also can't attack anything else besides dupe frogs. It just creates an awkward situation. I mean, you can tag all tag out off of dupe frog, but. There's no reason games two and three that you should be attacking face down monsters with glad beasts against frogs when you really think about it. So once you attack into a GB hunter, which is what happened on stream, when you see that, that they side it, if you get to game three, 
Uh, you never attack a face down again. And then Glabby's play stuff like Triple Book of Moon. Sometimes they play Grammel. Sometimes they play Smashing Ground or uh, just removal in general, right? And those cards really hurt that card, like the, the GB Hunter, you know, you could just Book of Moon and then contact. Like if the guy had Book of Moon right there, he goes attack with Bestiari. Oh, it's GB Hunter. Okay, I'll Book of Moon it, then I'll contact and then pop it and pop it the rest of your cards and you start to lose from there. It has a, it has a surprise factor. And that's what it kind of did to, uh, I think his name was Javier Saldivar. He caught yeah. him with it and it, you know, it kind of stunned him for one turn where it was like, oh shit, I can't tag out. I can't, you know, contact or whatever. But then the, the next turn, I think he just immediately drew smashing ground. But I don't even think that was, I don't think him drawing smashing ground is even why I don't think GB Hunter is good. I think that the novelty wears off because the stats of that card are weird. It has 1200 attack, so you can't summon it. And then it has 2000 defense. So you want it to be attack face down to stay in defense mode. So it's such an yep. awkward card to me. Uh, whereas, like Kenny said, something like Fossil Dina just does what it does when you set it and they attack it. It just kills their monster flat out. So even if they establish a Heraklinos or uh, two Laquaris or whatever, if they don't have Chariot, Fossil Dina just wipes the board. Yeah, they got to deal with it right now. And then on top of it, then it has a Vanity Fiend effect. What yes. I do like, though, is from the Frog Hero players, is that they do know... Yes. That Glad Beasts are a problem. Like yeah. they reckon, because like Glad Beast really is frog. The bane of frogs. Like, yeah. It's so hard to beat Glad Beasts with frogs. So it is good to see like the recognition that like, ev like even in this tournament, I think only one person really played Glad Beast, or at least one that I saw. It's like you need side deck space to deal with Glad Beast. Whether or not the answer is GB Hunter or something else, you know, we'll see. Yeah, Glad Beast. I talk about this all the time, but. The standard Frog Monarch deck, not the hero one that these guys made, but standard Frog Monarchs cannot be Glad Beast. They probably can't even win a game. It's really difficult. Chariot is too much. Uh, the fact that they kind of leave their field open or that they put out monsters with terrible stats that you can just bounce off of and tag, get free tag outs, that you can get Secutored so quickly and easily. These things make the Frog deck suffer against Glad Beast a lot. And this, you know, again, this version of the deck just kind of thwarts that by not only dupe blocking, uh, but also just having big monsters. It kind of puts big monsters out, like putting out an absolute zero and then knowing that I have a Caius tutor, I've been kind of bouncing to my hand. It's just too many problems. Like you can only do so much. Yeah. The other thing, when I look at the deck list that I like about it is I do think it fixes some of the problems with normal frog monarchs where it was cards that people just played because there was nothing else to play. I feel like like battle fader. Yes. Like, Battlefield was just there I to, like, it's there to just stall or whatever, but, like, it's not, like, fuck that card. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, I do not like, like Battlefader. Instead I, of three Battlefader, it's like, we got Stratos, Ecall, and Rota. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. it's just so much better. Yeah, I don't like Battlefader. Uh, I see that one of them was citing Mirror of Oaths. I think it's only one of them citing it. Yeah, Mirror of Oaths is uh, in triplicate. So, uh, Cam was like, I'm not citing GB Hunter. I think the card, he probably said, I think the card's terrible, and he was correct. Uh, he opted for Mirror of Oaths, which, you know, when, when your opponent special summons a monster from the deck, it, it's a trap card, it destroys the monster or monster, so if it's Rescue Cat, it can actually pop both the things they get, and then you draw a card. So it, it replaces itself and also kills their monster. So this can, this can be very good. I tested Mirror of Oaths back in the day, literally in Edison format, and it the card is just okay, but I think that just okay is fine for the Frog Hero Monarch deck. Because yeah. if they don't, get their their monsters to stick then they just end up with back row with like you can end up with a chariot right with no glad beast yeah and that's all the the frog monarch decks want 
Anyway, they want you to not have a Gladby so that they don't have to even think about Chariot when they're going to go Tribute for Monarch. Because if I go Tribute for Ryza, and you just have a back row, and I target one of them, I don't give a fuck what happens now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Mirror Votes is pretty good there, because at the end of the day, it's not a card you would main deck. You're only bringing that card in for the one matchup. Yep. And if it helps you win that one matchup so they can't get a monster to stay on the field, then it did yeah, its job, they, and that's all it needs to do. They clearly know Gladbys is the matchup that they don't yeah, want to yeah. like, you can tell like, anytime you see dog if you see gb hunter <laughs> in someone's <laughs> side deck you know that they they realize very quickly i do not want to play against glad beast they also both saw mm. bottomless which i have to assume is also probably for glad beast obviously it can cover more matchups like value turbo and stuff but i have to imagine that's also for glad beast and things like that so yeah i mean i think this deck coming out of this tournament is really cool apparently it used to be a 60 card deck or upwards of 50 something and yeah, it's, it's been refined. Down. Yeah, it's been refined over time to get down to 40, which is amazing. Dude, big respect to them. I'm happy that they came up with this innovation on the deck because, I, you know, everybody knows I love Monarchs. I wasn't a big fan of the Frog Monarch variation in its vanilla form. I didn't like it that much back in the day because I thought it had the same problem it still has today. But this iteration of it, I'm actually excited to try to play because I really like Monarchs. Frogs are just, all the frogs are cool monsters. I like their art and shit. Yeah. And uh, the explosiveness of Stratos, Miracle Fusion in this deck is really good. Also, I do like the the alias in there too. Like alias just being a big boy, just hitting shit. Yeah, like, he came I up a lot. He, he actually he, came he up, did a come lot. up a lot. Uh, alias is cool. And the, yeah, one of them, Rog cited a second alias, which also so good against decks like Hero Beat, where just 1900 attack and, and Glad Beast, 1900 attack goes far in those weird matchups like that. Yeah. Whereas beatdown yep. or something or stun, nineteen hundred just goes so far. That's an dude, that's another thing that helps with the Glad Beast matchup. I still think Glad Beast have the advantage over this deck just because of the natural flow of the deck. But yeah. between Alias and Stratos being bigger monsters that you can just normal summon, yeah. To help the tempo versus Glad Beast, I do think is really nice. And it goes without saying, if we I mean, we haven't actually said it, I realized just now. But one of the other things that make Glad Beast such a nightmare for the frog decks in general is they main deck Rediari which is yep. accessible by so like test tiger or just a battle phase. You can get ready. Yari, and that is just problematic for obvious reasons. So just to kind of also reiterate why it's annoying to play because it's not just the chariot. It's also the fact they have a main deck, constant DD crow on demand. Yeah. Uh, just ready. Ari, you're tree born. And now like, yeah, you're really frustrated because tree born's your biggest source of plus one in the deck. Yes. Against every other matchup, that card is going to be annoying because it walls, it walls the mouse. So it's hard to get to your life points. Uh, is used for substitute every turn. So every turn the game goes on, like we saw so many times they would end up with four or even five frogs going across their board. Yep. And every yep. time that yep. happened, that was just game. We did not see them lose any game where they got to constantly multiply frogs across the board. Yeah. If you get, if they get double dupe, double dupe, fucking swap and absolute zero, it's like you're not, you're not beating this board. Yeah, it just gets out of hand. Uh, another innovative deck that came out of this tournament, though, and one of the ones that really oh, yeah, impressed yeah. me. We didn't talk about this one yet. I like this one. So, uh, Marcus, 19. So, it's cool because multiple, I guess, teams or groups of people topped with the same exact deck. So, Time went around, and the guy, Marcus, both topped with a Lightsworn deck that transforms into Veyu Turbo. Yep. And... I think that one of the coolest things about old Yu-Gi-Oh! is transformation side decks. They're a forgotten thing. They're a relic of the past. And current Yu-Gi-Oh!, I don't think any deck in recent years, in the last five years, I'll say, has transformed when it's side decks. It doesn't become a completely different deck. But that is such a cool lost art. And yep. 
in bigger tournaments, it really, really pays off because what's happening here is game one, you play against Lysworn, win or lose, you are going to side anti-Lysworn cards. And a lot of times, those anti-Lysworn cards are going to be light imprisoning mirror. Mm -hmm. But what happens when your opponent literally takes out 99% of their light monsters and switches them for all dark monsters and a deck, because Vayne Turbo is a, is a damage dealing deck. It's a beatdown yeah, deck. It's yeah, very it's fast. So, so you switch into light mirrors. We actually saw this on stream. We got to see so much. But we watched a guy on stream. I think his name was Burndig. He played against Tom went around. And the last game that he played, he went set for a back row. And Tom went around switching to Video Turbo, so he went like summon card trooper mill three. And then he like summon Armageddon Knight next turn. He's cracking him. And we're like, what are those four back row? Right? Like what what are those? Because at the time we didn't even understand that he had sided in the Video Turbo. You know, yeah. we didn't know what was going on, but he never saw a light monster. So he just ended the game losing with light imprisoning mirror set because yep. there was never an opportunity to use it. Because all the wolves are gone. The honest is most likely gone. I'm yeah. assuming you take JD out. Like you yeah. take all that shit out, and now you got Veyu. Fucking Soroko, Dad, Forever. Yes. And you're like, and all of a sudden you were fighting this light deck, this, you know, really fast, aggressive light deck, and then all of a sudden you're fighting against Veyu Turbo and you're like, what the fuck happened? And what's so cool about decks like this is game one, you play against Lightsworn, right? And you're like, all right, well, I'm siding against Lightsworn. Game two, you're not, you're fighting Veyu Turbo. So now what do you do game three? Yes, if you do happen three, to get to game three, you're very confused on which which route they're going to go. Because they don't have yeah. to go back to Lysworn. They don't have to stay in Veyu. They can do they whatever can just, they want. And that's fucked up. Like, they can be like, all right, we're going back to Lysworn. All right, we're staying in Veyu Turbo. And so you're literally, if you get to game three, you, what do you do? You're like, I don't know what to side for. Like, he's playing two decks. Yes. He's cheating He's yeah, fucking cheating. They could even do a mix of both. You, you like you don't know how it's going to go. So it's really this is uh pretty innovative for the the reborn Edison format. I'll call it new Edison. I don't know, you have New Jersey because Edison is in Jersey. So let's say this format, New Edison, this is really cool because this is something that was actually done back in the day, but I feel like everyone forgot about it. And it's been brought back into the limelight. And I, I love to see it. Um I think that Lice Warren is a pretty strong deck for game one because it can going first it's very very strong right like naturally it sets yeah. up a board it can mill wolves before your opponent gets to do anything it can set its Ryko first and it has the scariest mills out of all the decks that play Ryko. a lot of decks that play Ryko are like quick draw and uh cat decks and flamvel and stuff like that and that Rikos are just whatever they're just kind of fuel for pot avarice but when you attack a Raikou, or when a Raikou gets flipped in a Lysworn deck, it can just spell disaster. It can literally mill Wolf, Garna, and another monster. And then the next thing you know, the game is basically over because they just went plus one on the Wolf, and the Garna is just going to be problematic when you really need to attack over, let's say, a Card Trooper, and you can't. Yep. <laughs> so It also doesn't really sacrifice a, its boss monster because it main decks Chaos Sorcerer, and like it's going to lose JD, but it gets dead. So yes. it's like yeah, it yeah, it, it actually does, and uh, it's not trying to play a long game once it switches into Vayu Turbo. That deck is just so fast. Like I said, Greffer and a Blackwing Armwing is literally four thousand damage. So just as half thing, your life. The other thing that's smart is like in order to make the deck work, because obviously you need like the side deck space, etc. Uh, instead of main decking two Celestia, they just go one Celestia, one Caius. Yes. Caius is really good anyway. Celestia is basically a monarch anyway. Yeah. So the the thought process of being like, I don't need to play two Celestia. I can just have a Caius. That way it's easier to go in the Veyu Turbo. 
Um, I think yeah, it's, really it's well thought out because I assume that when they do side deck, they use all 15. So there's Armageddon Knight, three Sirocco, three Veyu, one Crow, one Dad, two Greffer, one Burial, two Oppression, one Torrential. And I assume all 15 go in. And then yep. I also assume they take out things like Aaron, Garoth, Jane, uh, both the JD, Lumina, uh, all the Wolves, right? And then the honest probably don't make sense either. And solar recharge, some some of them, I know that they keep in the Rikos because Rikos played in Veyu Turbo and is played in Lightsworn. Yep. So yep. in the hamster stays. So they side out all of those light monsters that are supporting JD and JD himself for all the Veyu cards. And it puts in oppression, which is so good because as you know, oppression doesn't affect Veyu at all. Mm. Uh, it can just keep activating like Tree Frog over and over again. So that interaction is really good because oppression is one of the most powerful cards in the game. And depending on what your opponent's playing, it can really be detrimental for them if you want to... That's the other thing that's fucked up, right? Is like you said, Light Imprisoning Mirror, but also a lot of side decks do have oppression on the side deck, right? So, you're, I'm okay, I'm playing against Light Sworn. All right, I might bring in oppression, but then... Yes. Not only that, uh, it's kind of funny like, because... I'm not playing Light Sworn anymore. A lot of people side out their background destruction against Light Sworn. Yeah. Like, when I play against Light Sworn, I'll be honest, if... If I play against Slice Warren, I don't keep in things like Heavy Storm. Yeah, because you don't need it. Like, it just doesn't make sense for you. Even if you're playing as a Slice Warren player who Mirror Forced you or something, you probably realize if you got to see enough of the game, like if you see enough mills, they don't play many traps. So yeah. it's kind of not worth playing. Like, I might keep an MST, but he- Heavy Storm has to go. It's just not worth keeping a Heavy Storm against Slice Warren. You don't want to dead draw it. There's a chance they don't see any traps. Even the decks that topped only played three traps. So there's a high chance that they yep. never see a back row. Dust Shoot, Mirror Force, Solemn Judgment. And Dust Shoot probably get used immediately. And it's all traps, right? Now, if you look at this, it's like you're not Heavy Storming them. Like, if you Heavy Storm their Solemn Judgment, okay, They're whatever. just like, sure, that's fine. Uh, Dust Shoot happens immediately. You don't get a chance to play Heavy Storm. And then, yeah, you might Heavy Storm their Mirror Force, so okay. Your Heavy Storm has one target. Yeah, it has like, one real target. Like, Book of Moon, a lot of people just hold that in their hand until they need it anyway. Um, you may catch the Book of Moon. You most likely will not. And MST, most people don't set MST unless they're planning on something that runs Future Fusion. There's no incentive to really set MST outside of Future Fusion, I think. So, yeah, there's... Heavy Storm doesn't have much merit, so you side. We're saying all this to say you side out those back row removal cards like Dust. A lot of people made a like Dust though. You saw all of that shit out, then they put in impressions, and it's like, God damn it! <laughs> like not only did you switch your whole deck, but you also like ruined me because I sided out a lot of the cards that deal with this. So we got to see on stream a masterclass of what happens when people side an anti Lightsworn cards, and the deck becomes Value Turbo. It's really funny, and I'm gonna be honest, Burn Dick did kind of rage quit. The guy, the guy asked me at the end of the game, what were your back row? And he said nothing and left. Left the door. <laughs> you remember that, Kenny? That was on stream. I do. I do remember that. Yeah, that was on stream. That was clean. Uh, one of the decks that I did not expect to top, but it is actually innovative in itself, was a Blackwing deck. Like a, a straight up yep. Blackwing deck playing Black Whirlwind and everything. What he did do, though, and a lot of the good players have complained about how awful Bora is. Bora the Spear... 1700 Blackwing Monster. The card is just not good. And back in the day, every Blackwing player just played it. No one questioned it. No one realized how awful it was in 2010. You just kind of, like, all right, this is just what I'm doing. You had that one cool play where you go summon Sirocco, special summon Bora, pump him up to 3700 and trample. And that was cute, right? Like, that was cute. But at the end of the day, now with the 2022 lens, a piercing 1700 monster is just not it. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just not it. So he opted to mix pure Blackwing with Veyu Turbo. And the results were actually kind of nice because 
you still get your broken openings where you just go whirlwind Shura and that searches either Gale or Blizzard for the follow-up. Uh, but then you also end up with the speed of Veyu Turbo because you play two Greffer and three Veyu and three Sirocco. So you can also just end up going turn two after a Black Whirlwind Normal Summon Greffer, pitch Veyu, and it's just super awkward from that point forward because the tempo is so strong on Veyu Turbo, like the amount of aggression that comes at you from that deck. And it's still playing Triple Icarus Attack and it's playing um, a Roll Oppression. It's playing Upstart so that it can see its, its Black Whirlwind more often. We saw him game two, even though he struggled game two, opening up Whirlwind short, he should have won the game very easily if he just summoned Brionic and the game would have been over. You can watch that on the actual E3 video. Game. Yeah, if he just summoned Brionic and bit and pitched Veyu, the game would have ended 10 turns before it actually did. Uh, but no, you know, no problem. Everyone makes mistakes or whatever. But just if we're thinking about this from a perfect standpoint, he had a crazy setup opening up Whirlwind Shura, which is what everyone used to fear back in the day. Like I remember when I used to play against Black Wings. All I will hope is that God, please don't let this guy open a whirlwind shore. And every time they did, it's just like an uphill battle. So, yeah, I, I, I didn't expect to see this uh, in top cut, but it it kind of makes sense. Value Turbo won the last one. You don't want to just play the exact deck that won the last tournament. In fact, Value Turbo did not top technically. And no, it didn't. It I topped consider this Value Turbo. It topped in the way of um, Smokescreen, right? It yes. topped in the way of yes. Life Sworn, like. It, it fucking came in with the Trojan horse behind Lightsworn. Yes. Like, you know what I mean? JD broke into the castle, and then out of JD's mouth was fucking Veyu. It's like, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, <laughs> I love that. I love that it still found a way to top, which I didn't really think about. It still found a way to top without having to be the main deck, which everyone is expecting. Everyone was expecting, if you're if you're like me, I look at what won the last tournament, I look at the decks that did well last tournament, I assume that a lot of people are just going to net deck or play those decks. They might modify them, but at the end of the day, they're probably going to play a variation of what did well already. And that's kind of not how you win tournaments typically, especially in a diverse format. You need to be innovative. And the decks that were innovative, like the Frog Hero Monarch, I'm just calling it FHM, like the FHM deck and the, uh, you know, like the the Lightsworn deck that sides in the Veyu Turbo, those decks went out of their way to do something unique and cool, and they, they were rewarded for it. Another important note is, at least maybe more people played it, I only saw one Gladiator Beast player. But Same. this tournament had two frog decks in top eight, top three. It also had Return of the Quick Draw Dandy Warrior deck, which traditionally I feel like didn't do well in this yeah. format, but Quick Draw got fifth place. And then right outside of top cut, like ninth place, was that other frog deck, Frog Slicers deck, right? Oh, yeah. So I think if you look at this tournament, you go three really powerful frog decks, quick draw. Next tournament, I think you should see more Gladiator Beast, right? If more people are going to play frogs, you might yes. see more GBs next tournament. Yeah, if you're looking at the way the format is shaking out, if there are going to be more frogs, because typically people will just play what has done well last, if there's going to be more frogs in a the format, there should be more Glad Beast, naturally. And those Glad Beast decks will probably be geared towards beating frogs naturally. Like they'll probably play, you know, you might even see things like pure stun. I'm talking DD Survivor, Macrocosmos, D Fisher, Gardeniados, stun. That type of yep. thing. Like that might be a meta call coming up too, because I'm looking at all the decks that did well, and all of them will have a hard problem, including the zombie deck. All of them will have a hard problem dealing with a straight up stun deck that's playing D Fisher, Macro, and stuff like that. Yeah, we saw. I think it was the Gladiator Beast player, actually. He played D-Fisher, yes. He played D-Fisher, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so it's it's already kind of known that D-Fisher is a good card 
you know, with the way things are going, the, the format is very graveyard dependent. Like, holy hell. It is. One thing I did like from the quick draw deck is I do think, and, you know, granted, he's had 12 years of uh, of hindsight to make it better. I do think this version of quick draw, even though it's still most of the same, I do think it's a little better than Jeff's original deck list from 12 years ago. Yeah. Uh, even just off the simple fact that it main decks brain control, like the original deck list, I don't think has brain control in the main deck. Oh, shit. And that's fucking crazy. Like it's brain control. <laughs> like, yeah. I but I, I think, yeah, I think if you look, like if I look on the, if I go to historic deck list on this website, yeah. And I look at the original quick draw dandy warrior. Um, oh no, this one does have brain control. Yeah, it plays brain control. I don't know. I don't, I can't remember what. I saw something that I thought was weird, but I don't remember what it was. Obviously, it wasn't brain control because here it is right here. Well, he's playing 41 um, cards, so let's start with that. It, it is playing 41 cards, though. Yeah. So we could just start. We could just start there. Uh, but it's also yeah. playing Light and Darkness Dragon, which I think we already talked about. In yeah, hindsight, is not... isn't as strong as it as we thought it was in 2010. Yes, Ukar is not not as good as it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's very close to Jeff's, but it's just minor minor tweaks that I think matter. Um, and also the side deck is really strong because Jeff at the time, you know, I think X Sabers was, I guess he was just afraid of the X Saber matchup. It's probably a bad matchup. And don't get me wrong, but uh, X Sabers are just not represented at all in this new Edison format. It's just yeah. not. A, it's just not. A, and tournament is not a deck you're going to play. Now on the ladder on DB or you're just playing people randomly. You might run into the, the the typical the occasional X Saber player. But in actual tournaments nowadays, no one's playing X Sabers. Everyone realizes the deck is just missing too many the of its deck, cards. It's not that strong. And back then, like X Sabers were new. People liked X Sabers. There are uh, cards that people like. So people played X Sabers just because they liked those cards and they were trying to make them work. But now with 12 years of knowledge, we know that the deck isn't good yet yeah. in this format. So yeah. there's not really a reason to play. Yeah. I also think System Down is like so much hate. I just don't think machines are good enough to warrant System Down. I, I just think Cyber Dragon. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think System Down is so much fucking hate. Yeah. I'd like to be pulling the rug, though, because pulling the rug is really good against Diva Hero. It hits all of Diva Hero's best plays. So Stratos, Diva, and Caius, which are the only plays that deck does that are intimidating. Um, yeah, it hits all of those, and people thought that that card was just cited for, let's say, a gadgets or gear frame or monarchs. But pulling a rug against Diva Hero, try it out. If you side that card against Diva Hero, it fucking hurts that deck. Really hits all their bad. starters. Hits How do they every... start the game if you pull in the even rug? The, even mid game, like just a random tribute for Caius. They go tribute Stratos for Caius, or banish malicious summon malicious tribute for Caius, or banish malicious summon malicious summon Diva. All of these plays yeah. I'm saying, if you just go pulling a rug. They just have egg on their face. I want to be honest. Looking at this deck list, like I don't know what it would be off the top of my head, but my man's got to take system down out for something else. Just because <laughs> I think I think this deck destroys gadgets. It me. does three pulling pulling the rug and two cyber dragon. Bro, like he's made three hamsters. Yeah, like you're so good. Like gadgets aren't doing anything to you. Three hamsters is so many hamsters. It's very difficult to get through three hamster. With gadgets. Also, I don't remember. Does Machina Fortress, does his effect where he, if he dies, he pops a card on the field? Does that target? Because if that targets, you also just have Titanial. Like, Titanial beats over Fortress, and then yeah. if that effect does, targets, does I don't target. remember. It does target. You just fucking sacrifice a, a dandy token, and you go, okay. Yeah. Like, you don't get your Fortress effect. Yeah, no, it targets. 
Uh, yeah, this this tournament was great. I love the fact that Edison format is evolving. One of the other things that I learned uh, before we wrap up this segment, we'll go into listener letters shortly. One of the other things that I learned was so the online Edison tournaments feel very different than in person Edison. Oh man, I love them. I so love them. in 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 person, Yu Gi Oh, I think every region is probably going to have their own little meta, right? So I I go to the local alternate universes, and a lot of the meta at my local is very heavy on setting monsters it's very heavy on cat decks which you do not see represented at all in these rbet tournaments no one's playing cat i've noticed but at my local there's usually two to three cat players uh there's last week there was a lot of hero beat i think there were three players playing heroes i was the first person to kind of bring the hero beat deck to my yeah, I, I definitely i definitely think they're like you you got like you, they saw what you did with Hero Beat, and yeah. now... <laughs> yeah, I played it two weeks in a row, and I did well both times. One of the times going undefeated, and literally ever since then, there's been an increase in Hero Deck, so now there's three... Last week, there were three Hero Beat players at my local. Now, I've given up on the deck since then, because I just like to switch it up all the time. But Hero Beat is becoming increasingly better. Uh, there's, like, someone playing Quick Draw. But, yeah, our meta is so different from the RBET meta... And I guess that's kind of typical of Yu-Gi-Oh! in general. Like, if you play at your locals, then you go to a YCS. Unless it's a really established format, you're probably going to have a different experience from your local as far as the decks that you play against. Yeah, because the local might have 10 to 30 people, but this tournament had 200. Yes. So, that's another thing to keep in mind. And when you're looking at these decks, some of these ideas are very good for big tournaments, but they might not translate as well. They might not be as impactful at your local scene. Um, so, just, you know, what I thought you were going to say, I agree with what you said, but what yeah. I thought you were going to say is just the simple fact that something I really enjoy about the Edison online tournaments is how fucking fast they run, comparatively. Oh, yes. Granted, if you look at the VOD, day one was 10 hours, day two was five hours. There was 200 people there. However, think about the fact that you're not ever waiting for your rounds. Right. You play round one, and then because it's bracket, it's not like whatever the fuck they do, whatever the, you know, because it's bracket, you just... Go to your next round. Go yeah. to your next round. Like, if your next guy, like, you just can, there was, it was cool because there were some people that were still in round two, but there was other people that were in round five just right. because they were playing, 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 and then, like, these guys were playing slow, but because three people are playing slow, it's not holding up the rest of your day. You can just be on round five already, and then, like, if you're out of the tournament because you lose, you're out. Uh, you, you lose twice, worry about, you're on. Yeah, you just double elimination, so you have to worry about, oh, maybe I'll top at X2 and all that. Like, no, you're just out. Yep. So... I, I really enjoyed um, how clean it could run, just being bracket. Uh, with everything, like, there's kinks that you work out time after time. This tournament ran a lot better, I think, than the first one. Yep. And then I'm sure the third one will run even better than this one. And Yeah. Yeah, I, play, yeah, I plan to play in the next one. Uh, in the meta, will probably shift again, just because naturally Edison just has so much to offer. And this tournament was proof of that. So just when you think that the format might be, you know, people might be like, oh, the Turbo won the last one. That's probably the best deck. And... Diva Hero is doing so well. It's probably the best deck. And then you see this tournament. Neither one of those decks topped, and they were played. I think. Yeah. I think both they of them were, were the two most represented decks in the tournament. By the way, they were played a lot. Like yeah. people played those decks because, like you said, people looked at the last tournament. They say, "Oh, these decks got first. And this is the best deck," and yeah. everybody played it. And then the people that won the tournament, the people that got top eight, none of them played it. They were like, "Nope." Like we're gonna, you know, play these decks that we think work really well yeah. and. Shout out to them. They got top eight. All right. So let's go into our next segment, which is our listener letters. Uh, if you guys want us to read your letter out loud on the show, just write into I am podcast at gmail.com and we may read it aloud on the show. Uh, before we get into that, also, I do want to say that I am podcast has a Patreon. 
Currently, we have 27 patrons, so shout out to you guys. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Um, we really appreciate it. It goes a long way. We have a couple different tiers for you guys. We also drop exclusive episodes. There's an exclusive episode dropping for the month of March real soon. We recorded it already, so that will be yep. coming out shortly. Uh, so there's episodes that you can only see their video too. You can only see them by being on our Patreon. And we also have a Discord for the Omnir podcast that you can join by being at the lowest tier, which is only three bucks. If you if you pay the lowest tier of our Patreon, the three dollar tier, uh, you can join the Discord, and you're in there forever. Like once you're in it, I'm not policing who is still a patron and all that stuff. Like once you're in it, you're in it, and that's it. So if you just want to do three bucks, so, uh, you know, support the podcast that one time, sign up for the Patreon, and then get into the Discord and cancel it after that. That's fine. You'll stay in the Discord forever. It's whatever. Uh, but yeah, I want to give a shout out to the people who are actually. On our Patreon, they've been a lot of them have been here since day one. So I read these in order uh, that people actually joined the Patreon. So every time I read this list, it's always from our very first patron to the newest. So it always starts off Connie, Austin, Leon, Quest, Garen, Hylian, TCG Automotive, Silver Chronic, Tyree Tinsley, Dimitri Barnes, Alexander Brissett, Vinny Casello, Dominique Roberts, Game for Yoshi, Alex Flamer, Game Marini, Ari Reynolds, CJ, Dub K Dad One. Saul at Dabra's Gaming Cafe in Georgia, Dan Vrabel, Dennis Milburn, Joseph Marcello, Scott Page, Red Vines, First to Home, and Dalis Forneris, our newest patron. Thank you guys so much. As I always say, it goes a very long way, your support and everything. So look out for the extra episode coming out soon. And without further ado, let's go over to our listener letters. Okay, so we have a listener letter about Yu-Gi-Oh! Talk from Austin Cruz. He says, definitely enjoy the Yu-Gi-Oh! episodes the most for sure since I actually have a decent enough job to have the funds to play Yu-Gi-Oh! I've always played competitively, but never really had the funds to really put towards the game like I wanted slash needed. I've played meta a few times and also like to experiment. In formats where I played at a disadvantage, GB's way past their prime, and I think a lot of people have been there. Like, a lot of people wanted to play Glad Beast past their prime. Uh, but he says, in formats where I played at a disadvantage... Just because I had to play a deck I know to even be able to afford expensive staples, I'll play well enough to where I would almost make it to day two. What really got me back into playing uh, was the first regional I played since BA first came out. Early 2020, I had recently gotten all the new GB support that had come out. Still, Master Rule 4, where all extra deck monsters had to go to Link Arrows and new time rolls, I ended up finally getting my third loss in a last round and even got to Cowboy for a game a few times. I only really had knowledge of the meta from my locals and my card pulled knowledge at the time was even more limited. I still bubbled out of a regional with limited knowledge and an outdated deck. I think that's what set me off to realizing I can do it and have been playing meta decks that I enjoy and really work well with. I also forgot how much fun it is to play meta relevant decks. The fun thing about current Yu-Gi-Oh! is it's almost becoming like dual academy variety. The amount of meta and other viable decks is getting to be like the Smash Ultimate roster, which is funny. Because normally, I don't like that because there's too many side cards to choose from. But with cards being more generic, it helps cover a lot. However, I'm like you and where I'm terrible at starting the deck, but I can edit it pretty well. So a couple things there. I agree with you and that uh, I did notice that current Yu-Gi-Oh! is all over the place. There's not one deck. In fact, mm. it's kind of a meme to talk about the best deck in current Yu-Gi-Oh! Because there really isn't a deck that has established itself as the best deck. In fact, the last YCS was won by a 60-card pile of cards. So, yep. so just to put it in perspective, there's no one deck that people can say is you know 100% the best deck right now. You can lose to literally 
anything. And there's so many viable decks that people are playing. Uh, there's Based. There's Drytron. Apparently, Bird Up is around. There's Tri-Brigade. There's PK. And all of these decks are playing the Brave Package, too. So there's all types of shit like that. There's Sword Soul still lurking around. There's a ton. And also, there's the Thunderies deck, which apparently is doing really well. My friend Jared Randolph has been killing the PA scene with his Thunderies deck. Apparently, when that deck gets going, it just can't be stopped. And I've heard complaints about the Eldritch deck is actually really, really good, which I'm not surprised about because Skill Drain's at three. Mystic Mine, I believe, is at three. So, Ooh. Can I ask a question? Go ahead. What the fuck does PK refer to? Is it Phantom Knights or Prank Kids? PK refers to Phantom Knight, but Prank Kids technically also are PK. But no, when people say PK, they are talking about Phantom Knight. Because I see so many things where people say PK, and I go, y'all realize that could be two different decks, right? Yeah, like, I don't and both know what of them are relevant. Yeah, and they're both relevant, so I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about. Apparently, right now, Prank Kids are doing really well, too. Like, I've heard good things about how they performed at the regionals this past weekend, and I yeah. think just in general, they've been kind of terrorizing locals, because one of the coolest things about Prank Kids, it's a one-card starter for that deck. That deck literally summons one monster, any of its monsters, and it can just combo from one monster. Yep. Most of the other so, decks, go ahead. So me, who, you know, slowly learns about current Yu-Gi-Oh! over time, after, you know, I went to AU a few times and then yeah. playing Master Duel or whatever. At first, I knew what Prank Kids were. I knew about Prank Kids just because, like, I heard about the, I, I thought they were a funny name. I liked the card art. So I knew what Prank Kids were. So then I started hearing people talk about PK, and I always assumed they were talking about Prank Kids. But then I realized there's this other deck called Phantom Knights. And then I'm like, I don't know what the fuck people are talking about. Yeah. No, it's cool. I think one of the other things that you mentioned in this listener letter is so valid, though. When there's a lot of decks, it gets a little overwhelming to side deck because you need to cover a lot of matchups. You don't know what your tournament's going to be. And I think that's one of the struggles of Edison format, actually, because unlike current Yu-Gi-Oh! where cards like Lightning Storm, Evilly Mashed, uh, Forbidden Droplets, they kind of sweep an entire section of decks. Like, they just take out, like, all stun varieties can get wiped out by Lightning Storm, right? It, the same can't really be said for Edison format. There aren't cards that just wipe out several matchups at once. Like, DD Crow is very good. Cyber Dragon is decent. But outside of that, everything else seems very niche. Like, pulling the yeah. rug is pretty much hitting, like, one, maybe two matchups. You know what I mean? So, a lot of the cards that people side deck right now, they can hit multiple matchups. But for the most part, they're mainly for one thing. Like, for example, the guy was siding GB Hunter. How specific can you get? Like you can't, you can't get more specific than that. Uh, but then I do like seeing somebody side deck Fossil Dyna because I love Fossil Dyna. Fossil Dyna can be used Perfect. even if you, even if you don't draw well. Fossil Dyna can just get you back in the game. What I also just thought about as I'm saying this, GB Hunter may not be as bad in Rog's deck if he can dupe block you and then normal summon it. Uh, yeah, if, yeah, yeah, yeah. If he can dupe block you and then summon GB Hunter, you probably just lose because now you can't attack. And you also have this monster he's going to put in defense mode next turn. So, like, turn one, he'll, like, after he dupe blocks you, he'll summon it. And it's, you know, it has 1,200 attack, but you can't get to it. The same reason why I think Ocean is good in that deck. And then he switches to yeah, defense yeah. mode. And once it's in defense mode, it's 2,000 defense, so you really can't beat it now. So, I could I could see an argument being made that if you can get established, I think the problem with that argument, though, is that it is hard to get established against Glabbies. Yeah, you got to do a lot. You got you to gotta set the dupe block up and have have drawn gb hunter yeah it's, just, it's not easy to get set up and so i understand where he was coming from like if you get to go special swap normal substitute set up your dupe block or whatever 
and then go from there. Sure, that's amazing. And then GB Hunter is a blowout card. But I think for the consistency's sake, like Fossil Line is kind of nice. And also Fossil Line has the same brokenness because if you do block them and then you go summon Fossil Dina, they can't attack the 1200 attack power Fossil Dina either. And that's awkward. I also think, oh, fuck, excuse me. I'm yawning a lot. I also think that Fossil Dina covers after turn one. Fossil Dina also kind of covers G- Gladiator Beast because after turn one, your Gladiator Beast are all special summoned, right? Yeah. Like for the most part. Whereas like turn one, GB Hunter will stop that first normal summon Glad Beast. But yeah. after that, if they attack into face down Fossil Dina, like that's going to blow up the Glad Beast that are on the field. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of get the GB Hunter thing, but at the same time, it is wishful thinking in my opinion that to try to do block them and then do it. Uh, what we ended up seeing was him just having to set it, and it did do something, but not not enough. Yeah. So, uh, what else is there? So, yeah. Oh, I did want to also elaborate on how fun it is to play meta. So, I am a guy who my dueling career kind of started off playing anti-meta, right? I played Gravekeepers. That was the first I got top with. And then I also played Dragoonity as my next top, uh, YCS Charlotte 2011. But then eventually I just became a meta player. Like there was a period where I was playing like off beat decks and topping with them. And then I just went to plants, which was the best deck and everyone knew it. And then later in my career, it just was like apparent that I was playing pretty much the best deck in every format, whatever that was. Um, Playing non meta decks is also fun. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the underdog thing. Like I kind of root for the underdog often. I'm that guy. So I like putting myself in a situation where I am the underdog, but I won't, I won't complain though. When I'm playing a non-meta deck and I lose to the meta, like I'm not that guy. I won't, I won't pick a shitty character in Smash Ultimate and then be like, "Oh, you're playing Joker, like he's so broken and stuff like that." I'll just be like, "Yeah, like I'm fucking playing Zelda, and she's bottom tier basically, and you're playing Joker, who might be the best character in the entire game." I don't expect to win unless you're not good at the game, pretty much. Like I, your frame data alone just beats me. As you only have to breathe, really. So, you know, if you. If you like playing off meta decks, you just have to accept that your reality is a lot of times you are going to lose to the best deck because it's the best deck for a reason, or you're going to lose to whatever the meta is. If, if there is no one best deck, if there's like, you know, the new package for the brave token thing, the, if, if that's, if that's what's the best and you're playing Eldritch, like, yeah, sometimes you're going to get creamed by people playing brave because that deck is better than Eldritch overall. Like it's the deck that's performing the best. It's the deck that has the higher ceiling and all that good stuff. But, uh, playing meta is also really fun. It's nice to just know when you sit down, no matter what your opponent is playing, I technically have the best deck in a room, you know, in some way. Yeah. As long off meta is fun or not the best deck, I won't even say off meta, like yeah. playing the second best, third best, or just not the best deck is fun. As long as whatever that is, is playable. And what I mean is, for example, you mentioned Smash, right? And Melee, amongst the characters that are playable... Melee is one of the most balanced games in the fucking world. When you just look at the eight characters that are playable, the game's incredible, and it's super balanced and super fun, right? And you can play any of those characters. You don't have to just play Fox or just play Marth. All of those characters are really, really fun to play and can do really sick shit, no matter who you're playing. But what's not fun is if you play Link, you may love Link. You may be, I'm just playing for fun, but you're not ever having fun because you don't ever play the game. Like, if right. you just play Link, you just kind of get dogged. So if you're playing, like, an off-meta deck, as long as your deck can still do things and you get to have fun while you're playing it, it's cool. But sometimes people play off-meta and then they'll just complain that they don't ever get to do anything. And it's like, yeah, your deck doesn't do anything. That's why. Like, it's not ever going to do anything. Right. 
Uh, one of the other things you mentioned is you played Gladby's way past their prime, but you were playing them in 2020, which is definitely way past their prime. Their prime was 2007, 2008, before Teledet. They ruled the world. Uh, however, there have been some absurd Gladby's cars that have come out since those days. And one of them I just want to talk about a little bit. Gladder the Beast Tamer Editor. That fucking card is nonsense. It is an A-star fusion monster. It has 3,000 defense, 2,400 attack. And you summon it by putting two level five or higher Glad Beast monsters back into your deck. So it's a contact fusion like all the rest of them. But what it does, every turn, you can special summon a Glad Beast from your extra deck, ignoring its summoning conditions. And that is just fucking wild. Because Glabbies now have an Omni Negate monster that just negates monster effects, I think. And it might even banish them when he negates them. But I know he negates monster effects the same way Heraclinos negates spells and traps by discarding a card. I think he does that for monster effects or something like that. And he's 3,500, if I'm not mistaken. So he's huge. So you can summon him. You can summon Herc. And every time that he lives on the field, you can just keep on mass producing these fucking monsters. When I saw this card, I immediately thought that maybe Glabbies have some opportunity. Obviously, they do not. But if they do get this card out on the field, it is very problematic. And it would be cool if one day Glad Beasts are playable. I'm not even saying best deck again, but just playable where we get to see Glad the Beast Tamer Editor be used for real. Because this card seems so fun to just every time be like Heraclinos, then 3500 guy, then another Heraclinos, and they can't stop you. Uh, yeah, I think the problem is that every deck nowadays, it, it does all their setup in main phase one. Whereas Glad Beast, their setup comes in battle phase. Yes. And so it's like... Oh, this guy has another effect too. Uh, he says at the end of the battle phase, if your Glad Beast monster battled, you can shuffle that monster into the deck or extra deck special in a Glad Beast monster from your deck. So he makes everything tag out twice, I think, or something like that. Yeah, he does He does some broken shit. He lets you just tag out a couple, a bunch of times. So he's ridiculous. Uh, he makes the monsters that don't even tag out tag out, which is kind of scary. And yeah, he's just a really good card. So when you brought up Glabby's, I really thought about their new support because they have some new support. They have some other cards, but I won't even go over. I just think that this guy specifically is the one. Like he is the reason for the season. So, all right, we have another listener letter. It's also from Austin. And this one is on our Monster Hunter, the Monster Hunter Rise expansion. So Austin says, so this expansion definitely has me hype and it's gotten me into playing Rise again. As Stylo's coming back is pretty sweet. One of the deviants I was able to fully beat I don't know if you used the Adept Charge Blade in Generations, but it was honestly a pretty broken combination. General Shielding was a guard point at the right timing where you could immediately fill your files or a full charge double attack instead of rolling through the roar, which I used to do in Freedom Unite. I could just block it as a guard point. So, yeah, back in Generations and Generations Ultimate or Double Cross, if you played the Japanese one, uh, <laughs> the, the, the styles... The forms, whatever you want to call them, they were just nuts. Like Brave was ridiculous. Adept, uh, oh, yeah, in English, Ariel. Brave is called Valor. Yes, um, Valor form is broken. I I tried all the great sword forms. Great sword's my favorite weapon. Oh I tried all God. the great sword when that forms. One gets the Valor, it is not okay. And Valor great sword is fucking sick, bro. Like, oh my God, I, mean, I want them to bring that to Rise somehow, dude. I don't know how, because you know how when it, when your Brave Bar is full, when your Valor Bar is uh -huh. full, you kind of start doing that sidestep thing, like where you just, yeah, baby. your dash becomes a fucking <laughs> actual movement. Oh my God. And then you charge up so quick too, with your triple charge yeah. with your Greatsword. You go right, first of all, you go right into your second charge attack. He skips the first charge attack, goes right into the second one. He goes into that stance. Oh, that like, stance is cool as shit. It like, it just, like you're on the third charge immediately. And then... That's if you do the draw one. And then if you just, like, have your sword out, you can do a normal charge. 
But you can, instead of releasing it, you can, like, like charge with triangle and then press circle. Instead of doing, like, a normal release, he does a dash forward release. Yeah. And so, like, and it's omnidirectional, so you can just, like, charge and then, like, pick a direction and go that way. It's fucking crazy. It looks scary as hell because you start moving fast as shit. The sidestepping, uh, I want I want them to find a way to bring that into uh, Sunbreak. That would be Valor amazing. Sword. Yeah, Valor a friend of mine was shit. telling me to use Adept Greatsword, which I did use a little bit. I thought it was fun, but I felt like it was too situational, and I just, I fucking, Valor Greatsword was it. Yeah, Valor and Aerial Greatsword, I feel like, are the two best for me, personally. Like, those are the ones that I like the most. I like Aerial Greatsword because you just triple charge a monster. You just jump over their head and just keep triple charging them. Sometimes you can stun lock a monster if you do it too many times. So Yeah, and then... Aerial's cool because you get uh you get like that air you get the um thing where you mount them and stab them in their back. Yes. That was mounting back in the day. Before the new mounting yeah. system where you literally ride the monster. That used to be the mounting system where you kinda got on them and you just had to play a little mini game and then after the mini game yeah, was over, yeah. the monster just fell for twenty seconds and everybody got to do free damage. But now they changed I it like, to where you mount them for real. I like that one. Yeah. It was cool. Uh so yeah, I can't wait for this to come out too. There were some very broken combinations in those in those generations games, and they found a way to incorporate some of the things into uh, Rise. I noticed, like, so we don't have it where you just actually you do. So you said you mentioned how you can block, you can use guard point, and you get all your files back. Well, they have a uh, I guess uh, what is it called a wire bug oh, thing? Yeah, like a silk bind. A silk bind move where you press like L two circle, whatever it is on a on a uh, switch controller, but you press that. And you, if you block a move, it fills up all of your files in Rise. So, yeah. and I said that shit is broken. Like th- to me, that one Silkbind move is so scary and crazy. Yeah, the Silkbind moves, the switch skills add a lot. Like you don't have styles that you get to choose anymore. But I think what they've done is, since the older Monster Hunter games in the world and then in the Rise, they've taken the different styles of the the weapons and tried to unify it to like this is how the weapon plays yeah so you have a little bit of all the styles in the weapon like greatsword when i play greatsword and rise i see it has a little bit of this a little bit of that from different styles from generations ultimate even like adamant charge slash it's not quite the same thing but it's like that thing where um in valor mode i charge and then i can like press the button to dash forward and hit you right i i have that with adamant charge slash adamant charge slash i can pick a direction i go that direction and then I start charging my sword in your face, and it, and I have hyper armor while I do it. Yeah, I so they, you know, they and you can they add little shit distance. like that. Yeah, you can make you can extend its distance, shorten its distance. So like that's really cool. And then you like rage slash is based on I don't remember what it's called, but one of the ultimate moves in Generations Ultimate where you have like I think it's called like brimstone yeah, slash or something. Brimstone, like yeah, that. I think it is brimstone slash. But that move takes entirely too long to actually come out. So yeah, I think, but it had the rage slash mechanic where if you got hit, it got stronger. Yeah. So. And you were armored up while you were doing it. Yep. It looked really cool, though. It looked like you were charging up Kaioken or some shit. It really does. Yeah. So that was really, really cool. But all right. So this wraps up this episode of the I'm There podcast. I think that we're pretty much done. Those were the listener letters. We yeah. touched on Edison format again. Uh, our next episode is, I guess I should say, I'm not sure how we're going to release these, but we're actually recording two episodes tonight at once because we also want to talk about the slap seen and heard around the world between Chris Rock and Will Smith. So one of those episodes is going to come out first and then whatever one, either this episode about Edison and these listening letters is going to come out next or, you know, vice versa. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, uh, we'll see you guys soon. And again, check out our Patreon, check out our YouTube channel. 
Uh, subscribe to us on Spotify so you get notifications when we actually drop new episodes, which usually is every Monday and Thursday of the week. Um, and yeah, if you have any questions or you want us to read something about on the show, write into the I am their podcast on gmail.com. As I always say, do the things that make you happy. So long, gay Bowser. So long. Thank you.